Hello and welcome to episode 6, bonus episode 6 of me watching every animated piece of media on, on Disney Plus at the time of making the list. Um, my, my worst fears have been confirmed and they have started to add things behind me. Um, including putting Dumbo on the list. Dumbo's now on the list and it wasn't on there, um, so that's nice. Uh, but they added Iron Man and Captain America Heroes United. Um, and I hated the Heroes United movie, so I'm not going back and watching that one. Um, I'm just pretending it's not there. Um, just for the record, so if you, you know, you could sit there and be like, Oh, you didn't watch more. Um, all, all the fuck you want. Um, but I know how terrible the other one was and I don't feel like suffering that again. So, yeah, I'm not watching it. But we got a good chunk of movies for this for this week's. I'm sorry, Mr. Week. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I had a hump to get over in terms of watching these things. And after seeing over 100 pieces of animated Disney media, I was getting pretty fucking sick of it. Um, and I had I had to take a break. I had to stop. Um, so I, I watched just enough to finish this episode. I have absolutely no idea when I'm going to return to this. Um, but since they're bonus episodes, I don't really feel compelled to, to make myself, uh, suffer if I don't feel like it. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, in the last couple of weekends, I've been like off doing other things. Um, but we got some movies to talk about in here. There's some good ones. There's some real fucking stinkers and a lot of painfully average films. That's enough for me talking. Let's get into it. Melody time is kind of like... Uh, Fantasia mixed with Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Um, or it's like Fantasia mixed with Fun and Fancy Free. Fun and Fancy Free and Melody Time are fairly similar, um, except Fun and Fancy Free only has, like, the two stories, and, um, Melody Time had, like, I guess, like, six or seven. Um, and it's, it's a combination of, like, music paired with story animation, like you see in Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. And then uh, stories told of, like, classic Americana stuff, like Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill, um, and occasionally there's some live action just thrown in there. So, it's it's very, I almost want to say, like, experimental in, a, in its stuff, because it's a lot, there's a lot going on in Melody Time, and it's got, like, this loose framing structure of just, like, music, you know, to kind of bring it all together, uh, much like Fantasia. And it's it's okay. I mean, if you're going to watch, like, a movie where it's animation paired with music, then I would just recommend Fantasia. Because, um, to my count, there are four of these now. There's Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, Fantasia, and Fantasia 2000. And Fantasia, to me, is the best of all of them, um, personally. But Melody Time is, is, is pretty entertaining in its own way. Um, I like it because it feels kind of like... Fantasia feels like this, this like, elevated form of entertainment that doesn't strictly feel like Disney. I mean, there is that bit with Mickey Mouse, but it just has, like, this kind of class to it. Melody Time feels like what would happen if they, they really kind of Disneyed it up, you know? It's got a bit more of those, those, those factors that make Disney so, um, like, eternal, uh, with its fairly universal storytelling, um, and it has that, that root in Americana, that is that is pretty strong and a lot of different Disney things. Um, so yeah, it was it was entertaining. Um, I'm, I have fond memories attached to Melody Time, so I, I enjoy it. And I give that a, I'd give Melody Time a, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. It's a, uh, it's just kind of nice, and it doesn't 
require a lot of brain power to really enjoy. You can just kind of sit back and let that movie wash over you, uh, like like nobody's business. So there you go. Moving on to the next one. Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas is one of those movies where it absolutely shows my my age because I was not aware that this movie was 21 years old um, until I clicked on it to watch and I was like, fuck, 1999? God damn. Okay. Um, so this one shoots straight out of my childhood like most of these movies do. But for me, Christmas is um, is my like favorite time of year. Um just letting you all know, pretty much uh, as soon as November hits, I'm fucking decking my halls like a motherfucker, because goddamn, I love Christmas. Um, it's just, it's it's wonderful. I love the I love the media, I love the music, I love the lights, I love the, the camaraderie of family and friends and gift-giving and all that jazz. And um, I have very, very fond memories of Christmas. It is truly the happiest time of year. And Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas has kicked off uh, Cinderella 2 off the top spot of being the best anthology movie uh, with with this one because I feel like anthology movies in Christmas really go hand in hand and Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas really does that formula justice with three pretty incredible stories. Um, they get stronger, in my opinion, as they go. Uh, the first one's probably the weakest. You got Huey, Dewey, and Louie, um, wanting it to be Christmas every day, and then they get stuck in a groundhog-like situation where Christmas every day turns out to be some sort of, like, high-level torture. Um, and then by celebrating, like, the best Christmas and realizing that Christmas isn't about, uh, like, the fucking, um, gifts you, you get, but rather the, the gifts you give and being there for family and all that stuff, um, is, is the, uh, is the proper lesson to learn. Then the second story is uh, Goofy and his son, Max, because in 1999, Max was still Goofy's canonical son, which makes this the third appearance um, in alphabetical order of Max and Goofy. And of course, in classic Max and Goofy uh, traditions, this one is fantastic. It deals with uh, the, the reality of Santa Claus and um, the, the joy of, of Christmas really being about like communal happiness rather than specific items. Um, and how Pete's a fuck. And then, uh, the last one's about Mickey, uh, trying to get a gift for Minnie. And he, he works his, he works his adorable butt off. And, uh, unfortunately cannot scrape the money together. So he trades away his, like, most valued item for a gift for Minnie. And finds out that she actually does the same, uh, for him. And, you know, it's just, it's all very moving and, and beautiful and full of Christmas spirit. Um, and it's pretty well animated, and the voices are what I remember them being. Like, watching um, Melody Time and, uh, like, Mickey's uh, Christmas Carol really kind of fucked with my head about what these characters sound like. But from, like, the 90s onward, uh, for the most part, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, you know, they were all voiced by the same people for a very long time. And those are the, the, like, the canonical voices for, my, for me. And, um, it, it feels weird to have them sound like anything else. Like, the current voice of Mickey does a, does a great job, but it's not quite what, uh, it's not quite this Mickey, you know, it's that, those sorts of things. And the person who voiced Minnie had been voicing Minnie for, like, her entire career, basically, until she died. And Bill Farmer's been the voice for Goofy as long back as I can remember. 
um, which is basically like, you know, Goofy Movie and all that shit. It's all voiced by like the same group of people. So yeah, it's it's very nostalgic and full of full of good times and damn near made me cry. <sighs> and um, for for all of those reasons, I give I give Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas an eight. I think an eight is um is is worthy. It's it's very good. It's a really good Christmas movie. It's the best anthology movie with its three stories and it'll it'll hit you in the feels because it's got a lot of feels to to hit you in. So yeah, eight out of ten. Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas is the sequel to Once Upon a Christmas. Who couldn't figure that one out? And instead of following the three-story um, pattern that all these other anthology movies do, this one had five? I can't remember. I think it had, it had more stories. And um, these stories are not as, um, as good, in my opinion, as the, as the ones that came before. They were still fine. Um, and, you know, you've got Donald gets a story and Mickey has a story and... Max and Goofy have a story, and it's it's all nice and heartwarming and all blah 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 blah. But it's I don't know the 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 first one just hit me a little harder, and I think it might be this weird disconnect because this one has like all the characters are like CGI animated instead of hand drawn, which is fine. Um, but it's it, it's fine. It's a passable sequel. Um, I mean we're talking like six out of ten. It was watchable. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's still full of Christmas cheer. Just didn't have like the same the same hit that the the first one did which i guess makes sense because i watched the first one at like six in the morning so i was like tired and sleepy and i'm like <laughs> so yeah make it twice upon a christmas gets a gets a six out of ten it's lovely and holiday filled so what more could you possibly want Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, the Three Musketeers gets a zero out of ten because it's an insultingly lazy rendition of that story I don't mind Mickey, Donald, and Goofy being the Three Musketeers. That's fine. What really irks me is the music being royalty-free classical songs with shit-ass lyrics written over the top of it has to be one of the laziest songwriting methods I have ever seen. It's, it's like the only movie so far that didn't have original music. It, it has fucking original, air quotes, original lyrics to classic classical music songs and it is fucking horseshit and no i'm just i got so mad once i realized that's what they were doing i just bailed because i'm like no fuck you i'm not gonna sit here and listen to your hackney lazy bullshit if you didn't put any effort in making the fucking movie i'm not gonna waste my goddamn time watching your piece of shit movie so fuck that zero out of ten i was so bummed too because i'm like that's the last like fucking possible movie of like Mickey doing a thing in in this goddamn list. That's it. That was the last chance. And it's it fucking sucked. So god damn it. I I would have loved to see a like a feature film with Mickey at the lead, but the only one on here is terrible. So I guess that's why Mickey, Donald and Goofy don't really lead a lot of movies because it sucked. God damn it. Moana um, uh, this is a great movie. It's, it's got some wonderful music. It's absolutely gorgeously animated. It's a pretty fun story that takes a, a good spin on, like, the classic, uh, you know, like, princess destined for whatever motif. Everybody loves The Rock. I've said it time and time again that, uh, I'm pretty sure he has something in his contract that says his character needs to make a reference to how strong their body is, and he does the eyebrow thing. 
Um, and it's just a really, it's a really well put together movie. Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs. I particularly love the song, um, when she returns the heart of Tafiti. Um, I loved all the villains. There's a very fun, like, kind of, there's a series of trials that she has to go through and Moana grows a lot. And this movie has quite a legacy. They're going to add a whole big thing about water, um, inspired by Moana to Epcot here pretty soon in, in the parks. And um, I, I would love to see more of uh, more of this later on. Who knows? Fun fact: uh, Moana's dad is voiced by Christopher Jackson, who played uh, George Washington in Hamilton with uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. So it's fun to see that uh, character, or not not the character, the um the actor again in a in something else. So yeah, excellent excellent movie. Solid eight out of ten. Um, it's it's got some things that I'm not super a fan of um but i'd be nitpicking a a pretty goddamn good movie so meh moana eight out of ten solid solid film monsters inc from 2001 i thought it was three never mind 2001 19 year old movie um you know this movie's this movie is funny for me because as i was watching it i'm like man the intro sequence with the 2d doors and the jazzy number was really good and then the movie kind of dips after that and i'm just like uh you know kid hijinks um not really my my forte well i'll be damned if by the end of that movie it, it didn't almost make me cry when sully has to say goodbye to boo so yeah you know what it's got some good bits and it's got some slow bits but um it's it's still it's still a fun ride i really loved the soundtrack i felt like the soundtrack was really good and i was really paying attention to it this time around um, which is not something I remembered about this movie, that the music was really good, but the music's really good. I mean, it still looks good. Um, you can tell they hadn't quite figured out how to animate people yet. Um, Boo looks a little weird, and some of the kids look a little strange. Um, and, I mean, that's why they focus so much on the monsters. Um, which they do a pretty good job at, actually. I think the monsters look pretty good. So, yeah, I very much, I very much enjoyed this movie. It's, um... I mean, it's not in, like, my top five of Pixar movies. There are some incredible Pixar movies, and indeed, two of them are perfect. Um, but it's it's a good movie, you know? If you're watching them chronological order or something like that, or doing what I'm doing, I don't think you're going to have a bad time with Monsters, Inc. Plus, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Billy Crystal, and uh, he's all over the place in this movie, as Mike Wazowski. Um, the one question I, I have is, um, I've only ever seen the second one, Monsters University, once when I saw it in theaters. So that's the one I'm really curious about. I know Monsters, Inc. is a good movie. We're talking 7 out of 10. It's a good, solid film. But I don't remember pretty much any... I remember bits of Monsters University, but I'm like, I don't remember how I felt about it. And I think um, the fact that I saw Monsters, Inc. before going to college... Actually, no, 2013. That would have been, been sophomore year of college for me. So I'm well past college. Now let's see how it fares as a college movie. Um... Yeah, 7 out of 10, I think, is pretty good for Monsters, Inc. Steve Buscemi does a good job as Randall. Um, I liked Waternoose. I liked the fact that, like, the the whole, like, kind of the crux of the movie deals with this energy crisis. Uh, not a lot of movies dealing with that. So, so that's fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is a G-rated college movie. That doesn't bode well. 7 out of 10 for Monsters, Inc. Alrighty. Alrighty. I think. Well, actually, I don't think. I prefer Monsters University and Monsters, Inc. Um, it has a lot of fun side characters. It's the second 
college movie that um that I've seen on this list. I think it might be the last um pretty well maybe I'm not sure. Um, I mean, there's things like the Proud Family movie. I have no idea what that's about. Uh, but possibly. And I suppose there is that bit where, like, Andy goes to college and leaves his toy bo- toys behind. I don't know. But, yeah. It, it, it's a college film. And, like, Emperor's... Or, or not Emperor's. Um, an extremely goofy movie is a college film. And those are, like, the two I can think of off the top of my head. And this one's really good. I, I enjoy the, the twists and turns. Um, I enjoy the the side characters, especially the cast of Uzma Kappa. Um, I think Don Carlton is probably my favorite. He's just a fucking Ned Flanders, you know, Minnesotan buf- buffoon, and he's just the best. Um, yeah, I I was thinking about it like you know I mentioned it in the Monsters Inc. Uh, review how this was gonna impact me from like a college point of view, and um, I did not go to a Greek college that had like a, a Greek row, you know, with like the, all the the fucking fraternities and, and sororities and stuff like that. So I'm not entirely sure if that's that's accurate. My gut says kind of, sort of. I went to a couple of parties, um, but I was not very much the uh, the party type when I was in college. But I will say, um, being, being tossed out of a, a major by failing the final exam of the first semester is unlikely... In the extreme, like, I'm sure schools could do that, but if, if that school, like, th- this was their first semester as freshmen, um, like, I didn't start taking major specific courses till, like, my second year, really. There are, like, those general graduation requirement classes that everybody has to take in order to graduate from school. Um, so, you know, that's what I would have started with. And then you work your way up to that kind of stuff. Because you do a lot of learning about yourself in college. And, um, I, you know, they, they just kind of got jumped into this fucking thing right out the gate without having any time to like self-discover. Um, and that's kind of like the biggest part about college. But I also appreciate this school or this movie's message in that like they cheated to, to win and they get expelled for their troubles. And then they go to Monsters, Inc. and work their way up from the mailroom to become scarers. Meaning that. They didn't, they didn't have college degrees, but they still achieved their goals. And I'm like, that's nice. You don't see that a lot in movies. You know, they didn't win, really. They, they, they won the competition, but they cheated, and then they get expelled for school. And then it's like, it's okay. Like, we're still a part of the company. And then they worked their way up through a bunch of jobs, like six or seven different jobs, before they became scarers. So I, I appreciate that message. Um... But yeah, it's it's a it's a very it's a very good movie. I I enjoyed watching this one a lot, and I always enjoy um just college like competition movies. They're fairly common um, in reality, but I like this one a lot. So I give this a movie a seven out of ten. It's a good old fashioned college romp. Mulan from 1998, one of the last movies to come out during the Disney Renaissance period. Uh, I believe the one that followed this movie was Tarzan, which is, to my knowledge, considered to be the final movie in this uh, this Renaissance period. So, we will talk about Mulan. This is the original, not the remake. I haven't seen the remake, so I'm not going to pass any judgment on that. I know there's a lot of controversy around that right now, but we're not talking about that. We're just talking about this movie. Um, and this movie is pretty good. 
Uh, one of the things I love about this movie is that it understands its tone really well. Um, for example, the last song sung in the movie is A Girl Worth Fighting For because at the end of that song, they see the devastation that the Hun army has done to the, the Imperial army, um, having just a, pretty much completely annihilated them in the Tonshao Pass. And after that point in the movie, there are no more sung songs. That's, that's the last sung song in the movie. And I thought that was really cool. Um, kind of like how in Lord of the Rings, uh, when they're fighting the cave troll, there is no, like that whole battle basically plays without music until there's a bit where Merry and Pippin kind of dive sideways apart from each other and then the ground explodes and then the music swells back up. That scene is so engaging and so entertaining that you don't notice there isn't music until somebody points it out to you. And I'm, I, I do that to all my friends. I'm like, what do you think about this scene? And they're like, I love this scene. I'm like, do you hear any music? And they're like, oh, no. I'm like, yeah, scene so good, doesn't need it. So, yeah, Mulan, Mulan understands that really well. Um, I also enjoy, I could land blast this movie for its um, sexist views. Uh, like, there's that line in A Girl Worth Fighting For where Mulan is like, um, how about a girl with a brain who always speaks her mind? And everybody else just goes, nah. But I'm pretty sure it's done tongue-in-cheek. Because this movie is all about uh, the capability of, of, of women. And how they can do fucking everything anyone else can. And any kind of social differences are ludicrous. So I think it's played for jokes rather than as a serious message. Because that, that's the whole point of the movie. That's, what, that's why Mulan is so fucking awesome. She's breaking these barriers and stuff like that. So... Um, I'm not going to lambast the movie for that because I'm pretty sure that's kind of the point. It's like when people say they don't watch Blazing Saddles because the movie is racist. And then I go, yes, but that's the point. They're making fun of it. It's parody. That's the whole point. Anyway, um, you don't get anyway. So yeah, um, I very much enjoy Mulan. I love the songs. I'm a big Donny Osmond fan. So, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You is just a fucking Disney classic. There was a while ago, like a couple of years back, where that song was like weirdly, obscenely popular. Um, and I don't really know why, but like, it was everywhere. And maybe it was because I had a, uh, a friend who was in like a stage play of Mulan. And so I saw it like on my social medias a lot. That might have been it. Mushu's great. Um, I love George Takai in pretty much anything. Um, James Hong is in this movie as the uh, as the council. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's pretty well animated. Um, one of one of my one of my favorites from this time period. Big old fan of Mulan. I love the music. Um, I love the the character designs. I I like the overall story. I love the grandmother character. Would you like to stay for dinner? Would you like to stay forever? Just that shit fucking killed me. Um, so I'm going to give Mulan, ah, it's also a war movie. Now that I think about it, first war movie? I think so. I think this is the first war movie. Not a topic that's covered in Disney movies a lot. It's hard, it's hard to come up with a happy story about war. Um, this might be the first and possibly only war movie. Well, I mean, Pocahontas is more of like an invasion movie. Um, really, if you think about it. 
Um, Treasure Planet? No. Yeah, uh, I guess there's this movie called Valiant where they're wearing like fucking military hel helmets. So I'm not sure. It's the only good war movie. Let's call. It, let's do that. I don't know anything about Valiant. Uh, I'm gonna give Mulan an eight out of ten. It's very good. I have no idea what the what the sequel is gonna be about, but apparently there's a witch in there that can turn into a hawk and fucking magic powers and stuff, and I think that's stupid. So yeah, there you go. I think for the first time I'm gonna disagree with uh, the grander scheme of things because this movie got a zero out of ten on Rotten Tomatoes and I don't think it's that bad and that's Mulan 2 don't get me wrong the movie's a challenge and I had to fast forward through quite a bit of it I mean we're still talking like three out of ten but it is not unwatchable garbage and I think that's mostly because I'm a goddamn sap for romance and um, this the story of uh, the, the three soldiers, Chen Po, uh, Yao, and Ling, falling in love with the princesses who they're assigned to bring to this other kingdom to do arranged marriages uh, to create unity um, is, is a pretty sweet one. And I, I also did it because not only were pretty much everybody from the original movie came back for this one, except for Eddie Murphy um, as Mushu. He got recast. I uh, came back. But the three princesses are voiced by Lucy Liu, Sandra Oh, and Lauren Tom, all of whom are incredible actors. They are phenomenal. So I, I mostly did it for them because they are way too good for being in Mulan 2. Um, that being said, they did a phenomenal job. And um, I feel like the movie did a fairly decent job of explaining why, like, uh, Ling fell in love with his princess and so on and so forth. Like the the matches make make sense. It takes a little while for some of them to really develop, but that's okay. Um, what really drags this movie down is the conflict between Mulan and Shang caused by Mushu because Mushu wants to break them up. Uh, it's not nearly as charming as the scene in like Lion King one and a half when Timon tries to break up Simba and Nala because that's like only like forty five seconds instead of most of the movie. So. Yeah, that conflict can fucking eat it. Um, also, Mulan's face animations are weird. Um, they don't look great. Everybody else looks okay, but Mulan, for some reason, like, there's a lot of really weirdly animated to the point of it being like, that wasn't lip-synced well at all. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a bit strange. Some of the songs are pretty good, actually. Um, like the uh, I Want to Be Like Other Girls song, um, which is... Uh, I also want to give a shout out to um, Judy Kuhn and Mandy Gonzalez, who are the singing or two of the singing voices for the princesses. There's also uh, Beth Blankenship, but I'm not familiar with her work. Judy uh, is the um, is the singing voice or just the voice for? I think she's both. Um, I'm pretty sure she's just both, but let me confirm that. Um, no, she is the singing voice for Pocahontas. Okay. That's it. So, yeah, Pocahontas sings in this movie, and that's pretty fun. Um, also, I forgot that Yao was voiced by fucking Harvey Firestein. So, hell yeah, go Harvey Firestein. Yeah, it is it is not unwatchable if you fast-forward through bits of it. Um, I did quit on it twice, but I was, like, I really wanted to see the conclusion because I was curious to see where it goes. And basically where it goes is they all end up happily ever after, but there's a bit where Mulan, like, self-sacrifices herself to be the one that gets the arranged marriage because she broke up with, like, Li Shang. Um, or no, Li Shang died. Um, air quotes died. He comes back. But that death scene is also pretty impactful in that there's, like, proper time to grieve 
like Mulan feels the pain and then there's like a pretty long sequence actually of like in the end where Mulan is just like sobbing and in, in like absolute distraught sadness um and I appreciated that not a lot of movies give the you the viewer or the characters proper time to mourn and this one actually does um so what did I say three out of ten I think I, I think after talking about it and thinking about it if you skip the bad shit um it's probably like a five to be perfectly honest with you it's really not that bad it's not a zero for for any any stretch of the imagination but it is not that bad so props to you Mulan 2 you, you did okay apparently there was supposed to be a third one but it got canceled before the release of Mulan 2 which is probably the the best uh, thing it's ironic like to me like you take Mulan out of this movie and it's probably better quite frankly um that's that's where I stand I don't think Mulan needed to be here she doesn't really do a whole lot to advance the plot of this movie so yeah there you go Olaf's Frozen Adventure is that 24 minute short that appeared before oh fuck I can't remember what movie it was but there was a movie that came out that had this as the the short leading into it and people were pissed because nobody wants to sit through a 24 minute short before a two hour movie like that's absurd shorts should be like five to ten minutes when they're shown in the theater and most of them are um but I love Olaf's Frozen Adventure because A I love Frozen I love the cast Frozen I love Christmas and it blends those two things together. And the short has really good songs. Like, I love the, um, the one where it's the, uh, fuck, um, When We're Together song. Um, and then Olaf's with the, uh, What Do You Do At That Time of Year song. Like, there's just legitimately fun songs in this. It's, it's a very nice, succinct Christmas story, uh, in, involving some of my, my favorite Disney characters. So, I mean, we're talking... This is like a 9 out of 10 for me. I, I fucking love it. Now, if you're not a big Frozen fan, I still think it's pretty good. Um, like, the animation's beautiful, and the music's really good, and it's just... It's really well done. It's basically like a little... It's a, it's a little Frozen movie about about Crimbo, and that's just magical and wonderful. So, 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10! God damn it! Everything Frozen-related gets a 9 out of 10. It's so good. But they need to not do anything else with it to keep it that way. Um, and I don't believe um, we are getting any more Frozen movies. Let me confirm. Confirming. Confirming. I mean, there's the Frozen Fever thing. Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Frozen 2. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think... I, I believe there are no plans currently to make a uh, another Frozen movie. Of course, that can always change. But pretty positive that they're just gonna let it let it die and move on um so who knows who knows where we're gonna go with the uh the fucking yeah here on um yeah no just yeah frozen 2 no no word about any sequels beyond frozen 2 so good leave it let it die um it's wonderful i love it i'll rewatch it till my my dying day um, well, that won't ever happen because I'm going to be immortal, but you know, I'll watch it forever until time stops and electricity is no longer a thing. Cause I won't have to figure out how to run a power plant. So yeah, moving on. Oliver and company. This, this one marks the, uh, the beginning of a, of a chunk of movies that I need to watch. Um, where I'm sitting here being like, Oh boy, this is, um, 
I have no idea what's really coming down the pipeline. It could be hit or miss, or it's a lot of unknowns in like the latter half of this of this thing. Anyway, Oliver and Company um, gets a gets a couple of points right off the bat for being. I'm pretty positive about this. The only Disney movie with Billy Joel in it, um, and I absolutely love Billy Joel. Uh, I grew up listening to Billy Joel. You know, it's fucking is a goddamn legend, um, and he plays uh, Dodger. The, uh, fucking dog, um, who's kind of the main character, or one of the, one of the main characters, I guess. It's called Oliver and Company, um, and it's based off of Oliver Twist. I don't know how accurate that is, um, besides, like, the names of some of the characters. Um, I'm pretty sure there was not a Chihuahua voiced by Cheech Marin and Oliver Twist. I'm pretty sure Oliver's not a cat. You know, so, but it's like, that. those are obvious. But it's like, I don't know the plot of Oliver Twist very well, so I can't tell you if it's accurate to this movie. I think this movie probably took, like, bits of Oliver Twist and turned it into this sort of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't know for certain. Um, one thing that kind of made me laugh um, was, you know, you've got the song Why Should I Worry, which is... One of my absolute favorites. Um, it's a fucking great Disney song because hey, it's Billy Joel. Um, but he's got a lot of reasons to worry. I mean, at that time of the song, his his like dog dad Fagin was um, like massively in debt to a loan shark with like threatening Dobermans that were gonna come and kill him. That's a pretty big reason to worry. And then at the end of the movie, when they sing "Why Should I Worry Again," I'm like, well, sure, you're not in debt anymore, but you guys are still like. You know, on the street, food is unknown. You know, I, I, you still got lots of reasons to worry. And I guess maybe that's the, the whole Hakuna Matata thing. Um, I don't know. But I was just kind of saying, they'd be like, maybe you should worry once or twice. Just every now and then. I don't know. Um, that's just me. Uh, Bette Midler plays Georgette, the, uh, the poodle. And that's just fucking delightful. Um, there was a line in her opening song. Uh, where she's referring to like kind of getting all um, all dressed up and she she's like I don't do it for my vanity I do it for humanity and I was just like ah oh, it's fucking great that was really good so yeah I was a big fan of Bette Midler uh, being in this movie You'd fucking name another movie with Billy Joel and Bette Midler in it I don't think I don't think it's possible I think this is it I think this is the only one um, so yeah I loved Dom DeLuise as Fagan um, it's a, it's an excellent cast. It really is. Um, but in terms, like, there's a point where, like, Georgette's introduced at, like, the midpoint of the movie. And I'm like, we're halfway through this film and they're still introducing characters. And then at the point of, like, the, uh, the deal where, where Jenny goes to get, um, Oliver back and Fagin just gives it to her. And, like, you know, things kind of turn. That's like, we're like 15 minutes away. The movie's really strangely paced in that not a whole lot happens in this movie. Um, but it's also at the same time like a really tight story. It's kind of weird. Um, it, it does it does really well with the little that it has. And the like from the intro with Oliver in the box and like all of his brothers and sisters getting adopted and he's the only one and Huey Lewis is singing Once Upon a Time in New York City which is 
a wonderful song that I hadn't like I didn't remember that whole intro sequence. Um, this this movie really is uh, is a love letter to New York, not only having such New York icons like Billy Joel and Bette Midler um, be in the movie, uh, but like the songs, the the settings, it's it's like New York's awesome, and New York City is like one of the best cities in the world. Easy, easily one of the best cities. It's probably my favorite. To be perfectly honest with you, I fucking love New York City. There's a, like, I, I don't like Seattle um, because it, it doesn't feel, it's like cringy and dirty and I'm not a big fan of downtown Seattle. Um, but fucking New York, it'd be the exact same really in New York, but it's different there, I guess. There's something about this the city, like, you kind of expect it, you know? Seattle has kind of changed for me and I don't know, it's it's awful. <laughs> Don't like it. Um, but New York, I could, I could fucking, I could walk those streets fucking wo- anytime. I don't even want to be in Seattle at like noon. I don't. I, if I go into Seattle, I'm sprinting from my car to wherever I need to be and then back again. I just, I hate being out in the, out in the open in Seattle. It's awful. But Oliver and Company is pretty good. I'd give this a solid. Is there any reason to mark it down? Let's see. Um, huh, is there any reason to mark it down? It's a pretty good film, all things considered. The cast is really good, it's pretty well animated, it feels pretty, it feels pretty Disney. Um, there's definitely some layover, um, animations, probably the same, um, animation supervisor between this movie and, um, The Great Mouse Detective, because there were shots of Sykes that looked remarkably like Radigan. Um, and indeed, they were made a year apart, 1987 and 1988. So, um, probably, it's probably the exact same crew, really, that did it. Also, there's a lot of layover with, like, the, the Dog Street Gang. Um, and somebody finding their place in the world is something that Disney has done quite a few times up to this point. Uh, like fucking Lady and the Tramp 2 Scamp's Adventure is basically this. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of Fox and the Hound too. There's a lot of dog gangs in these movies. A lot of dog gangs. Patches London Adventure. So yeah, any movie with, with a dog is like part of it. They're, they're going to follow similar structures. So I'll give this movie an eight out of 10 though. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And about four of those points are Billy Joel and Ben Midler. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Um, very, very good. Very good. And I've been taking a break, obviously, because, like, we missed a week um, with with this stuff. So, it's nice to come back in on a, on a high note. Um, especially because I have very mixed feelings about this next movie. Onward is such a conundrum for me because on one hand you're like, ooh Dungeons and Dragons I even have a gelatinous cube in there, isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? But it doesn't feel like it, it definitely feels like it's mocking it more than it's celebrating it and um, it really comes from things where it's like, oh look Unicorns are raccoons. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Hey, isn't that crazy? Look, it's a dragon. It's a pet. 
Oh, it's misbehaving. Go back to your lair, dragon. Ha ha ha. That funny? Ah, oh, we're so we're we're with the nerd culture. And I don't fucking believe at all for an instant that people would give up the ability to do magic because they're lazy. People are lazy, sure, but it's fucking magic. That's the that's the epitome of lazy is magic in in anything. If you could do magic, you wouldn't do fucking literally everything else. You wouldn't cook your own food. You'd make it magically appear. You wouldn't drive your car. You'd magically teleport. Magic begets laziness. That's what every other fucking story about magic basically tells you. Like with the with the elves in Aragon, they're like, when you can do anything, when you snap your fingers, life becomes about finding purpose and meaning. And in this movie, it's like, well, magic's hard. So we made cars to make our lives harder. Instead of progressing down this, this pathway of instant gratification via magical means, we're going to slowly develop slower ways of doing literally everything. And that's just fucking... That's backwards. That's not how a logical brain fucking would do, you know? Oh, my God. So, yeah, it, it upsets me on that level. The core story is is fine, you know? It's a little weekend of Bernie's-y, um, and they spent a lot of their movie basically faffing about and wasting precious, precious time, um, including, like... This movie does the, uh, like, the, the conflict, resolution conflict thing a lot, um... Where, like, the brothers will butt heads and then and then kind of get back together. And then they'll butt heads again and then they'll kind of get back together. And then there'll be, like, a montage about how good brothers they are. Showing scenes that appear nowhere else in the movie. They're just there for the montage. It doesn't do a good job of, like, celebrating their relationship. And it really could have been. And it's also the type of story that absolutely did not need to be told in this sort of setting. To me, they, like, had this story, and then they're like, okay, but what makes it, like, fun and different? How about, like, high fantasy magic and sword and shield and they're elves? What? Crazy. Or trolls, or I don't fucking remember. Who cares? It's stupid. Um, I really like the bit at the end when um, Chris Pratt, elf troll, um, gets to say goodbye to their dad, and you don't hear what he says. I really like that. Um, I thought that was that was a good way of doing it. It builds up this anticipation the entire movie about what they're going to finally say to their dad. And we don't know. Um, I mean, he, t he tells us later, but it's like you don't hear the actual interaction. And I thought that was, that was a good move. But the rest of this movie is, like, it's animated well. Bits of it are kind of funny. I always like a, a movie about a journey. It's kind of a road trip movie. I like those. Those are fine. But, in terms... Like, Pixar has two perfect movies on my list. Two! They know what they're doing when it comes to storytelling. And this one just does... This one feels like they fucking threw darts at a board and then mashed all these things together that didn't need to be mashed together. I feel like they really should have just picked a lane, you know? Not blending all these ideas together because this is lesser than the part of the sum of its parts. For sure. So... I mean, I'm going to give Onward, like, a fucking... I'm thinking a four. I'm thinking a four out of ten. I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm really not. Um, 
it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's for me. I'm not sure who it's for. I think it's for people who have like a vague knowledge of of this sort of of like tabletop fantasy media, not people who actually play this tabletop fantasy media. And I'm sure there's like if I found like a behind the scenes featurette some fucking supporting art director out there is going to be like, oh yeah, I played D&D once in high school. I'm a big fan. I'm sure it's out there. But it, it doesn't come out in the movie. That's what's key. I don't care if they if they do it, if the people who made this movie are, are big fans. If they are, then they did themselves a disservice as well. It doesn't come through in the movie. And that's, that's my final, that's my final thing on that. Let's move on to a movie that is on the list and therefore gets seen but is absolutely not a Disney movie. The Peanuts movie is interesting. I love the animation. I think it does a really good job of capturing that original, like, 2D Peanuts magic in a 3D space, which is challenging, I'm sure, um, from from an animation point of view. But it's, it's stylized really well. Um... It does this weird thing where it'll have a storyline and then it just kind of farts into nothingness and then it has a storyline and then it farts into nothingness and it has a storyline and it farts into nothingness. You spend like 10 minutes with Charlie like learning how to dance and then he goes to the dance and he makes a big mess and then they never talk about it ever again. And then you spend like 10 minutes with Charlie reading War and Peace in a day, which is absurd. If he read War, if it was like fucking, like uh, like if he spent like eight hours that day reading War and Peace, he would have had to read like 156 pages an hour, which is more than two pages a fucking minute. Like I suppose it's technically possible, but Jesus! And then he writes a thousand word essay, which isn't that it's like two pages, and uh, like in the same day, and then it gets shredded by a, a toy plane, and then we never hear about this ever again, and like. It, it cuts with these, like, these Snoopy bits. Snoopy and Woodstock fucking make this movie. Like, if it was just Snoopy and Woodstock movies, 10 out of 10. It's amazing. I loved those two. They were just fucking classic and absolutely phenomenal. Um, I felt like the, the voice cast did a really good job of sounding like what the Peanuts sound like. Um, unlike Calvin and Hobbes, the Peanuts have a very long history of having a presence in a, in a, in a visual sound-based tv movie environment and this movie absolutely pays homage to like all of those old like old movies like the way they dance at the school dance um talking about the great pumpkin uh the the christmas time choir scene all that stuff um this this movie seems to take place over the course of an entire school year it's really hard to tell because it could be like the next day or it could be six months later there's no uh, like, there's no real visual connection to to the passage of time in this movie because like you sp- it, like it flows like you'll spend a lot of time on one day and then all of a sudden there are like Christmas lights up and there was no mention of it anywhere so the Christmas like choir scene seems super out of like the blue and then it's like 30 seconds later and someone's saying it's like fucking first day of summer vacation and I'm just like oh wow we we're just fucking leaping all over the place and it's it's a little bizarre from that point of view. Um, I guess the crux of the movie is there's a new girl in uh, in the class, and Charlie has a has a crush on her. Um, and so like day one, he steals her pencil uh, and doesn't give it back 
until the first day of summer. He keeps her pencil the entire school year. And she goes, I've been looking for this everywhere. Also, who looks for a pencil? It's just a pencil. Just get a new pencil. Um, but why didn't he give the pencil back? And he uses her pencil to, like, write the book report and all this stuff. And it's a little weird. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really... Based on my knowledge of the Peanuts, which is not nothing, you know? I know all their names. Um, I've definitely seen, like... Um, Merry, Merry, what is it? Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown? Is that the, I've seen the Christmas one, I've seen the Great Pumpkin one, I think there's a Thanksgiving one that I've seen as well. Um, you gotta love the Peanuts. And this one, this movie's pretty good, all things considered. I absolutely love the Snoop and Woodstock moments, I love the Red Baron action sequences, I thought that was a lot of fun, I loved the way it looked, I loved the way it sounded. It's really wholesome to the Peanuts. Um, it's, it's a very sweet, cute, charming movie. Uh, and I, I would recommend it. It's it's the best movie I've seen today, and I've seen three as of recording this. So, yeah, uh, Peanuts gets I liked it a lot, really. I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. It's really, really, really good. Um, I suppose if you don't know anything about the Peanuts, it might not have as much going on for you. But I think the I think the charms of this movie exist um, on, on such a level that you can you can enjoy it even with without peanut knowledge, um, but peanut knowledge definitely helps. Peter Pan's a weird movie and it's kind of dumb, I'll be honest. There's a bit um, in the beginning where they're like, let's go to Neverland and he teaches him how to fly and there's a bit where Peter Pan kind of laughs and he goes, ha ha ha, well, all right, and like that's the delivery and that bit's kind of stupid. Um, and then they got the bit at the end where he's like, say you're a codfish, and he's the codfish, and they all go, yay! And I'm like, and I'll live happily ever after. It's, it's, I'm torn between, it's dumb, it's a dumb movie, but it's also like really iconic Disney stuff, like the flute with the do-do-do, like, that's, that's, that's very popular in, um, the Disney park. So I've, I've heard that a lot in my life and I'm a big fan of it. And I love the, the song for the crocodile. Yeah, that's, that's really good too. Movies racist as fuck. Of course. Um, but all the classic Disney movies tend to have some problems. So this one just also has problems. Um, and it has a, a very stereotypical depiction of um, native individuals. Uh, I was going to say Americans, but they're from Neverland, so, you know, native Neverlandians, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's got some issues on that front. Uh, Captain Hook is uh, is interesting as a villain because he wants to kill Pan because Pan chopped off his hand. And they, they talk about that. And Smee's like, oh, that was just a childish prank. And Hook goes, true, but... And I'm like, what the fuck? It's not a childish prank. He cut off your fucking hand. That is not a childish... Haha, ha, got you. I pranked you so good. Hook didn't sit there and go, Oh, you got me good, Pan. He went, Motherfucking 12-year-old demon-flying child just chopped off my fucking hand. That is not a childish prank. So that's horseshit. Um, and then Peter basically spends the rest of the movie 
torture Meg torturing Hook. Like Hook cries at several points in this movie because of just all the shit he has to put up with, including being eternally tormented by this ticking crocodile that loved the taste of his hand so much it wants the rest of him. So Hook gets a raw deal in this movie, and he doesn't die at the end. Um, he just runs off into the sunset after being chased by the crocodile in order for him to return, presumably in the beloved Peter Pan sequel, Return to Neverland, which I've never in my life seen. Um, but I'm as much as I love the music and I can appreciate the, the iconicness of the story, um, I'm not a big... I've read the original book, so I'm not a big Peter Pan fan. Um, and that's only because I read the original book. I think the movie's fine, and I think the movie does a pretty good job of telling you the best parts of the original book. Um, because the original book is way too long in comparison to the movie, which does a pretty good job of showing you the best bits. Um, I guess if I read the original text of something, I tend not to like it. Unless it's, like, new and good to me, I guess. Like, I really like to call it Cthulhu, and I hadn't read that before. Or experienced that story in other media, so... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Peter Pan gets a whopping... Pfft, fuck. I'll give it a five. And that's mostly for the soundtrack, um, which I'm a really big fan of. Animation's fine. Uh, but there were definitely bits where I skipped it. Like, I don't need to hear Wendy singing about what a mother is. I just don't care. Um, and, yeah, the Lost Boys and stuff like that. But talk about a legacy that this movie has. Not only with, like, all the live-action remakes, which I don't understand because I don't think the story's all that interesting. Personally, I don't think it's all that interesting of a story. Um... But, like, fucking Tinkerbell has such a following. Like, I've got one, two, um, just two, three, four, five Tinkerbell movies to watch as, like, what further down the line. Um, and there are more of them that exist. They're just not all on Disney Plus yet. Um, and it's weird to me because Tinkerbell spends the majority of this movie... Attempting to murder Wendy, swearing, canonically she swears, like most of the time she's going like, you're a bitch, you know, um, in the book and stuff like that, and then um, betraying Peter, like most of the time Wendy's, or not Wendy, um, Tinkerbell's a bit of a monster, and she's got such a fucking, she's so iconic, it's Tinkerbell, like, try to name a more classic Disney character than Tinkerbell, you know, she's so fucking like, it's like Jiminy Cricket, you know? It's such a, a, an iconic Disney character, and Tinkerbell's a bit of a monster originally, so... I don't know. Also, uh, Tinkerbell canonically dies in the original text, so... Um, I'm a little surprised, for example, to see Tinkerbell in Return to Neverland, but then again, they couldn't kill off Tinkerbell. You can't kill off Tinkerbell. That'd be like murdering Winnie the Pooh. And also, speaking of Winnie the Pooh, I got a lot of Winnie the Pooh movies to watch. But, uh, yeah... Peter Pan gets, what did I give it, a five? I'd say that's that's pretty pretty on, on point. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's bonus episode where we watched a couple more films. Um, we definitely went some places. No, like, really clear winners and a couple of pretty average ones. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me was that Peanuts movie. I really enjoyed that. That was just, that was just nice. And I'll see you all next time for the next round of movies. Have a good one, everyone.